I want to tell you a little bit about my story. If uh, you don't know my story, if you've been around here for a while, you probably know a little bit more about my story. Uh, but I'm going to tell you my story anyway. Uh, so here I was at 12 years old uh, at a Bible study at my parents' house. And um, my parents would host Bible study every week uh, at their house. And uh, all the adults would come and their kids would come. And the kids would all go downstairs and play except for one kid. And that was the weird one, me. And so the weird one would stay upstairs uh, with the Bible study. I was doing Bible study, adult Bible study at age 12. Because I'm a super spiritual, super Christian. No, I'm not. Um, so I, I would sit in on the Bible studies every week, and um, at, at age 12, I decided at that time I was going to do one of two things. I was either going to be a, a, a preacher or a lawyer. Uh, I wanted to be a lawyer because I wanted to make lots of money. I wanted to be a preacher because I didn't want to make lots of money. <laughs> so I decided, I, I, no, what I really wanted to do when I was 12 was I wanted to be a preacher. I wanted to be a, a minister, and I was excited. I was going to be a minister. And then I, I got a little bit older and I, I auditioned for my first show in high school, my first musical in high school, and it was Little Shop of Horrors. How many of you seen the movie or the, the, the show Little Shop of Horrors? And uh, when uh, I was cast as the dentist, oh yeah, and you're like, I can see that. I could totally see that. Sadistic? Sure, why not? Um, so uh, I was cast as the dentist in Little Shop of Horrors, and uh, I, I had a ball. I had a blast doing it. I fell in love with acting, and I decided that I wanted to be an actor instead of being a minister. See how that worked out. So I, uh, I did a couple more shows in high school. I played the music band my senior year. I got a half-tuition scholarship to Indiana State University to go and study acting uh, uh, on scholarship, and I, I was good. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you right now, I was good. I was a good actor. Um, I, you know, I, I act like a, a minister every week now. Um, so, see? See? I'm good, right? Uh, anyway, uh, so I decided I'm going to go to Indiana State. I'm going to go down to school. And, and I decided in my heart, decided in my mind, I decided in, in everything in me, I am going to quit going to church. And I am going to parte. In fact, I'm going to put the tay in parte. That's what I was going to do. And that was my plan. I was going to live it up. I was going to party. I was going to get drunk on the weekends. I was going to do all the, I was going to live it up in college. I was going to be turned into the ultimate prodigal son. And my parents are back there going like, we're so proud of you, son. Um, so I, uh, I go down to school and, and sure enough, God says, nope, you're not. And uh, he, I, instead, I meet this wonderful couple named Mark and Sue Gallagher. And Mark Gallagher was the, uh, is the uh, campus minister at the Christian Student Fellowship down at ISU. So uh, I meet Mark uh, and Sue, and I promise my parents, and I promise Mark and Sue that I'll come check out life at Christian Student Fellowship. And sure enough, I go and check it out, and there's this girl. Um, I mean, I wanted to be a good Christian like, and love Jesus, but there was this girl, and I had to get to know her better. So I kept going back and kept going back and kept going back. I know, totally wrong reasons. But God, you know, he spoke through a donkey once, and he can speak through. Anyway, so, um, uh, so I go down to school, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm at school. I'm, I'm going to church like every Sunday morning, every Wednesday night. I'm getting involved, and I'm going on retreats, and, and my faith is becoming my own, and I'm growing in faith, and, I'm, and, and all of a sudden, life is changing, and, and there's more purpose, and there's more meaning, and life is, I thought that being a Christian would be terribly boring, and I'm finding out that it's nothing boring, there's nothing boring about it at all, and, and I'm just, I'm growing in my faith, and it, like I said, it's becoming my own. I'm getting off my parents' faith coattails, and, and I'm becoming a Christian, like a sold-out follower of Jesus, and I was so excited, uh, and, and, and a couple years later, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this whole thing down there, and I decided, well, the, I, I didn't want to go to church anymore, <laughs> 
and I dropped out of college. Again, parents, so proud. I dropped out of college, and uh, I started living it up. I put the tay in parte once again, and uh, God called me out of that. He's like, Sean, I got, an, I got a better life for you. I got a better adventure for you. And so I enrolled at Lincoln Christian College, and I went to school to become a, a minister. 30 years ago is when I first heard that call, and I've been doing it for 19 years now. And so I went to Lincoln. I met my lovely wife, Shannon. And uh, life, life started, that adventure really started there. And uh, my second semester of school, uh, I decided I was going to get into ministry while I was in school. And uh, the first church that hired me was Atwood Christian Church in Atwood, Illinois. Let me tell you right now, everything, uh, you, you owe those people so much thanks uh, and so much gratitude because they let me make so many mistakes. And believe me, you think I make mistakes now? Nothing compared to first ministry, Sean. Um, so I, uh, I started there my second semester of Bible college. I hadn't even finished my first preaching class yet, and they hired me to be there. How desperate were they? They had gone through six ministers in five years, and they looked at me and said, we kind of see you as our last chance. If things don't work out with you, we're going to have to close the doors. And it's like, do you realize that I have not even finished my first preaching class yet, let alone learn the ins and outs of ministry in Bible college? I have no idea. You think I don't know what I'm doing now. I had no idea what I was doing back then. And so I, um, <laughs> uh, God was good and faithful. And there were 18 people the first Sunday I showed up. 18 people. And now they're running like 80, 85 people on a Sunday morning. It's totally cool what God does. And uh, they kept the doors open. I didn't shut the place down. It was great. And we were there for five years. And then we moved to Forest Lake, Minnesota. It's at the northern part of the Twin Cities. And we were there for five years. And we had a great time. Uh, cold. It's cold there. Uh, but we survived. Uh, we didn't turn into popsicles. Uh, but we had a great time in Minnesota. And we, we grew so much in ministry and in faith. And then we've been here for nine years. And it's been an adventure. And there's been highs and there's been lows. But I tell you what, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I, I love you guys. And I, I'm so uh, honored to be your pastor here and I'm just so excited about what God is doing and I'm looking forward to seeing what he's going to do from here on out and like I said it's been an adventure uh, there hasn't been anything boring about my life in the last 19 years of ministry there's not not, not been a boring day there's not been a day that I sat there and went you know what I am I'm bored because if that thought ever comes to mind God's like you just wait I got an adventure for you today, <laughs> and we go on adventures together. And I think there's a lot of people who, well, they look at the Christian life, and they think, man, it's, you guys are boring, or God is boring. God doesn't want you to have any fun, or they think, or we'll think to ourselves, well, you know what, God doesn't really want us to have any fun, and, and really, we're just kind of biding our time until we get to go to heaven, and then when we get to go to heaven, uh, then we'll have fun. We'll put the tay in parte then. I don't think that's the case, though. I don't think God intends for any of us to be bored. I don't think he intends for you to be bored. I don't think he intends for me to be bored because God is not boring. I think that God has an adventure for every single one of us. God has a purpose, an adventuresome purpose for your life. And he wants to take you on that purpose. He wants to take you on that adventure starting now. And so we're going to talk today about the adventure of faith that God wants to take us on. I want you to uh, grab your Bibles. And uh, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. 
Uh, we're continuing, well, actually we're concluding our sermon series today called Your God is Too, dot, dot, dot. Uh, we have talked about how your God is too angry. And we're talking about misperceptions that people have about God. And so we've seen how your God is too angry. And that uh, we saw that no, God is not angry with us at all. He has no more wrath for us. But rather God is uh, full of compassion and grace and he's slow to anger, abounding in love. He's not angry with you. He's not mad at you. We also saw how God is, some people believe that God is too safe. And in reality, God is not safe at all. We saw in Hebrews that he is a consuming fire. And that he wants to burn away everything within us that is not of him. He wants to burn away every impurity. He wants to melt away every unrighteousness, every wickedness. He wants to purify us into pure gold. And then last week we talked about how your God is too small. And we saw how neither God's love nor his power are small. But rather God is able and willing to answer our prayers according to his will because he, and he even knows what we need before we even ask him, Jesus said. So today we're talking about how your God is too boring. Next week we're going to begin a new series through the book of James. Very excited about that, called Where the Rubber Meets the Road. And we're going to go through that series as we study the book of James together on Sunday mornings through the fall. We're going to talk about the intersection of faith and life. Uh, and uh, how those come together and, and what it looks like to live out our faith on a daily basis. Uh, and then we're going to have Christmas and yada, yada, yada. We'll go into the new year. And uh, we'll keep doing this thing, right? Amen? So today we're in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. And here in Matthew 14, uh, if, you, if you brought your Bible, uh, if you didn't bring your Bible, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It's on page 692. Or you can always use your favorite app on your smartphone or tablet. Uh, but we're on page 692 of the chair Bibles, Matthew 14, 22 through 33. This takes place right after Jesus fed the 5,000. Now it says there were 5,000 men. We don't know how many women and children there were. There could have been up to 20,000 people there that day. And, and that to me is just a ridiculous ridiculously huge number that's more than the entire population of Griffith wow and Jesus fed them all with how many loaves of bread how many fish so five loaves of bread two little fish he just takes it tears it up and starts handing it to his disciples and they're handing it out I, don't, I, I, I really have told you this before and I really hope that there is a googleplex like a googleplex in in heaven like a movie theater with like thousand screens playing this Friday the flood uh, playing this Friday Jesus feeds the 5,000 and I you know it's like got great reviews uh, I want to go see that I want to see what it's all about I want to see how Jesus did this did he have like lightning hands he's like or, or what? I don't know how he did it, but I believe that he did it. How did he feed five to 20,000 people with five little loaves of bread and two fish? It's amazing. It's a miracle. That's why it's called a miracle. I want to see how that happened. So Jesus feeds the 5,000. The people uh, are going to make him king. Uh, they're going to try and make him king by force. And he's like, nope, got to go. Uh, sends the disciples off to the other side of the lake, throws them in the boat, sends them off to the other side of the lake. And then he stays behind to pray. We're going to pick it up in Matthew 14, 22. This is another story that I hope is on the Cineplex in heaven. I want to see what this looks like. So Matthew 14, 22 through 24 as we begin. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. One of the interesting things about this story uh, is that the disciples get in the boat and they start rowing across the Sea of Galilee 
Now, the Sea of Galilee uh, was notorious for storms and it gets really rocky and rough. And sure enough, this story takes place in two other places. It takes place in Mark's gospel and John's gospel. And John's gospel said the seas were quote-unquote rough. Now, this last week on, the, on Lake Michigan, we saw some rough seas. We saw some big waves coming over, and I imagine it kind of looks something like that. The Sea of Galilee is smaller than Lake Michigan, but I imagine that the seas were pretty rough that night, and uh, the seas were angry, my friends. And uh, so the, uh, the waves are coming over the boat, and, and, and they're not making much progress. In fact, John's Gospel says that they made it out about three to three and a half miles. So in, they're about three, three and a half miles from shore, and uh, the seas are rough. They're, they're rowing for their lives, trying to get to the other side, and then all of a sudden they see something. Verses 25 and 26. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Say what? Walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Now, why would they be afraid of a ghost, other than the fact that, you know, it's a ghost? Uh, but why would they be afraid of the ghost? Because in those days, it was a sign of impending doom if you saw a ghost or apparition at night. So they think they're seeing a ghost. They're terrified because it's a sign of impending doom. We're going to die. And they cry out in fear. Now, Jesus comes walking on the water out to the boat, and they see him. In fact, Mark's gospel says that he was going to pass them by. So he's not like, a, a, you know, way off in the distance somewhere. He's walking right by the boat. So Jesus comes walking on the water. He's, three, he's walked three and three and a half miles from the shore, and he's about to pass by the disciples. They see him. They freak out. They completely freak out. It's a ghost. We're going to die. Jesus responds, verse 27. Jesus immediately said to them, this, I love that word immediately because it happens again. We'll see it again in just a minute. Immediately Jesus said to them, take courage it is I. Don't be afraid. The Greek word for take courage means to take heart or to replace fear with confidence. Be confident. Take heart. It's, it's okay. And then he says, it is I. But the thing is, in the Greek language, he did not say it is I. He said, ego eimi, which literally means I am. Now let that sink in for just a second. He didn't say it is I. And that's what it means. But he literally said, I am. In the Old Testament, God's name for himself, his personal name, literally is I am. See, Jesus isn't merely telling them, guys, it's all right. I'm right here with you. It's okay. It's me. He is telling them, I am. In other words, I am God. You have nothing to be afraid of. Take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. You have nothing to fear because I'm right here with you. Then the adventure begins. Look at verses 28 through 30. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. It may sound like Peter's filled with doubt. Lord, I'm not sure it's you, but if it's you, tell me to come to you. That's not what that means. It's a first class conditional statement in the Greek. And that's a fancy way of saying, he says, Lord, if it's you, and I believe that it is. 
It's a statement that's true, and he's confirming, I believe that this statement is true. So, Lord, if it's you, I believe that it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. I love what Peter does there, because Peter invites himself out onto the waves. Have you, have you ever had anybody invite themselves over to your house? Anybody ever happened to anybody? Yeah, it happens to some people all the time. Uh, but... Uh, Peter invites himself out of the waves. Lord, if it's you, I believe it's you, tell me to come to you. I'll come to you. You just tell me. Peter, Jesus says, come. Peter hops down out of the boat. Now, that's, again, one of those things I want to see. Was it kind of like tenderly, kind of gingerly, gently climbing out of the boat, or did he like literally just jump out of the, out of the, wave, out onto the waves? That's what I want to know. It says he got out of the boat and he started walking toward Jesus. And then he sees the wind. And I imagine he feels the waves and he gets scared. And he starts to sink. Now, I imagine that when the laws of physics overcame the miracle of faith, that the laws of physics really took a hold. And that Peter didn't start to kind of like, you know, oh, I'm, I'm going down. I imagine it was a kind of a whoosh, whoosh. You know, like he was being flushed into the Sea of Galilee. And he goes down pretty quick. Let's see what happens. Verses 31 through 33. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Jesus reaches down and he sees Peter sinking into the sea and he grabs him by the hand and he pulls him back out. Notice what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't stand on the surface of the sea. Because remember, Jesus is still on the surface of the water. Jesus is still on the water. Peter's in the water. And he doesn't like, you know, start to berate him from the surface of the water. He does not berate him from, from way up high and say, what's wrong with you? You were doing fine. Why did, you, why did you doubt? Oh, you need me to save you now. Is that it? Huh? Okay, fine. I'll save you. No, it says immediately, as Peter's starting to sink, immediately he reaches down and pulls him back up. That tells me something about Jesus and our doubts. That when you doubt, and if we're honest, if we're all honest, we all have moments of doubt. Jesus will not berate you. Jesus is not angry with you when you doubt. Jesus does not hate you when you doubt. Jesus is not frustrated with you when you doubt. No, he's ready to pick you up. He's ready to pull you out of the sea. And he says, I love you. You don't need to doubt anymore. Why did you doubt? You were doing so great. And he dusts you off. He says, all right, let's get back in the boat. That tender moment between Jesus and Peter there. I imagine Peter's kind of like hanging his head in shame. I'm sorry, Jesus. And Jesus is like, it's okay. You don't need to be afraid anymore. They climb back up in the boat. The wind dies down and they get over to the other side. Now, when I think about the story, I think about Peter, and I think about what he woke up that day thinking about. When he woke up that morning, did he realize that he would be walking on water at the end of the day? Did he realize that he would be out there on the waves at the end of the day? Probably not. If I were a disciple of Jesus back in those days, I'm a disciple of Jesus now, but if I was a disciple of Jesus back in those days, I think that the question I would ask on a regular basis, the question I would ask every day is, what are we going to do today, Jesus? 
I've seen you do all kinds of incredible stuff. I've seen you heal the sick. I've seen you raise the dead. I've seen you feed 5,000 people. I've seen you cast out demons. What are we going to do today? I, I, I'm all about the, the show. Okay, what's, what, what are we going to do today? All right, we're going to go out there and uh, make fun of some Pharisees. What are we going to do? Come on. What are we going to do today, Jesus? And I imagine that, that, that that's how adventure begins. That's how adventure starts. Just by asking that simple question. If you'll wake up tomorrow and ask that question, what are we going to do today, Jesus? I believe that he has an adventure that he wants to take you on just like he took Peter on. I believe that he has an adventure for your life, that he has a purpose for your life, that he is ready to take you on the adventure of a lifetime that will not end until you see him face to face in heaven. See, Jesus didn't die to give us a ho-hum kind of life. He didn't die to give us a, a boring kind of life because he is far from boring. God is not boring. Jesus is not boring. And when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, your life will not be boring. I know so many people who just are going through the motions and they're, they're content and they're complacent. And Jesus doesn't want us to be complacent. He wants to take us on an adventure of faith. And, I want, and I, I, I'm here to tell you today, I'm gonna give you four principles that I wanna share with you in just a moment, but I don't believe that God is boring. I believe that he has an adventure of faith that he wants to take you on. And my prayer today is that, that you will ask this question, what are we gonna do today, Jesus? And that you will surrender to him and submit to him and say, Lord, wherever you wanna take me, we're gonna go. And I'm ready to do it right now. So when it comes to getting on this adventure of faith, when it comes to getting on this adventure of, of faith of a lifetime, uh, I want to share some things with you real quick. Uh, if you want to get on this adventure, the first thing is that complacent boredom must be replaced with passionate purpose. Complacent boredom must be replaced with passionate purpose. We might look down upon Peter. We might say to Peter, oh man, what a mess up. This guy honestly so impetuous uh so impulsive you know oh jesus i'll walk on the water you know and what does he do he sinks you know what were the other disciples thinking when jesus when peter hops out of the boat what is with this guy why is he always doing this you know and there's peter cutting off the the malchus's ear there's peter denying jesus there's you know peter's just so impetuous and so impulsive and he just jumps out of the boat but what about the 11 they never got to walk on water because they were complacent in the boat. They were satisfied with the safety of the boat that they never dared to dance on the waves. So complacent boredom must be replaced with passionate purpose. And I believe that God has a purpose for every one of our lives. That he has something that he wants you to do. That he has someone he wants you to talk to. That he has some, he, he wants to take you on this adventure. And he's ready to start now. Will you ask the question, what are we going to do today, Jesus? Will you ask the question, God, shake me. Take me out of my comfort zone. Shake me out of my complacency. Get me out of this boat and out of the waters. Get me out where you are. Because that's where Jesus is. He's on the water. And he wants to get you out there too. Second thing is that fear must be replaced with faith. It took a lot of faith for Peter to say, to invite himself out of the waves. It took a lot of faith for Peter to invite himself out of the waves to say, Lord, if it's you, and I believe that it is, I believe, tell me to come to you. If you want to be where Jesus is, you've got to invite yourself out on those waves. You've got to say, Lord, I want to be where you are. 
and I believe that you're out on those waves and I want to be out there with you. I want to be where you are. So get out of the boat of complacency and out of the waves of faith. Fear keeps us from doing so many things. Fear holds us back. Faith is what unleashes the adventure of life within us. The third thing I want to tell you is this. A rewarding adventure means taking a risk. A rewarding adventure means taking a risk. Let's face it, it's risky to get out of the boat, isn't it? It's risky to get out of the boat. It's risky to get out of the waves. What happens if I don't make it? What happens if I doubt? What happens if I start to sink? What happens if I start to drown? Remember who's out there with you. You're not out there by yourself. You're going to take that risk. You've got to take that risk, but the reward is out of this world. The reward is an adventuresome life of purpose with Jesus. So get out of the boat. Take that step of faith. Take that risk and find the reward that comes along with it. And finally, you've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. You've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. Now, I know that that's hard. And I know that keeping your eyes on Jesus is really, really difficult when the waves of life are st- and the storms of life are raging all around you, when the wind is blowing in your face and you don't know what's going to happen next and you're, you're scared and sometimes doubt takes hold. Sometimes fear takes hold and we start to sink. But remember who's out there with you. Jesus is out there with you. You're not alone. You're not alone. And remember this. Even if you take your eyes off of him, he'll never take his eyes off of you. Even if you take your eyes off of him, he'll never take his eyes off of you. He sees you right where you are. And if you're doubting, he knows about it. He still loves you anyway. Even if you're wandering from your faith, he still loves you anyway. He's calling you to that adventure. He's calling you back to himself. He's calling you to come and get on the waves again. If you've fallen before, if you've sunk before, if you've doubted before, if you've, if you've fell short before, it's okay. Because his grace is big enough to catch you. And even if you take your eyes off of him, he'll never take his eyes off of you. And when we find that our lives feel boring, and when we find that our, our routine gets ho-hum and we're in the doldrums of life, we need to invite ourselves out of those waves again. Because we go through seasons of life where things are boring or things are same old, same old. But I think it's time to say, Lord, call me out on the waves. I believe that you're out there and I want to be with you. So I'm going to pray for you guys today that God will call you out of the complacency of the boat and onto the adventure of the waves.